Welcome to Thimbleberry U. I'm Michelle O'Dell, your host. And of course, I'm joined again by Amy Walls. This time, my company stock is down. Now what? Amy is going to help us with that. So you've talked about stocks a lot in the past on your previous episodes. An employee of a firm isn't going to like the price dropping. What are the forms of stocks where this could be an issue? Michelle, I think it's a great question. Um, I think this is a question we've gotten a lot from our clients in tech, just because they do get various forms of stock from their employers. That's not to say people who don't work in tech don't get into stock. It's just, you know, from our experience at Thimbleberry Financial. So there's different forms of equity compensation that we have talked about in lots of different episodes. So I won't go into detail on them here, but there's employee stock purchase plan shares that come to people. There's restricted stock units or RSUs. Then there's two different kinds of options. There's non-qualified stock options, which are taxed as ordinary income when they vest. And then there are incentive stock options that actually get a much better tax rate, preferential tax rate, if they're treated in the proper way. And so really any stock, what I'm getting at is any stock that the employer granted could be down. And if someone's held on to it, that could be a little bit painful. Absolutely. Okay. So- What can someone do if they find themselves in this place? Well, I think if you're finding yourself in this position, there's a couple of possibilities. One, you may not have ever had a strategy for the stock. Okay. So we've had clients come to us in the past that say, well, you know, I I did this, but then the next year I did this. And so it's kind of all over the place. And when I say, well, what is, is your strategy? They're like, I hold it unless I have a need for it. So it's really not having a strategy. And that's okay because it's hard to wrap your head around what's the right strategy for my stock, especially when you've got lots of different pieces coming at you from your employer. Maybe you had a strategy and didn't follow it. So maybe perhaps the strategy was to sell RSUs as they vest, but all of a sudden your stock price was way down when they vested and you went, "Mm, I'm going to hold on to them. And then it kept falling. Maybe you do have a strategy and maybe that was to hold, Mm -hmm. but now you're second guessing if that strategy actually makes sense. So I think first of all, knowing where you're at and what category you're in can help shape this. And, and I, I don't know that the category matters a lot, but where I think the category plays a big role is in cutting through chaos, cutting through noise and just being able to see got it. This is why I got here. Cool. It's not about blaming. So I think if anybody's listening to this going, uh, darn it, I I didn't do what I said I was going to do. Now I got here. This isn't about blame. It's about simply recognizing what the category is so that the noise of, well, should I do this? Should I have done this? Should I, can just go away. Cool. I had a strategy. I made a choice. So far, I'm not sure it worked out. Cool. Let's move on and figure out the next best thing. Stop second guessing yourself, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Stop second guessing. Stop making yourself feel bad. Like, it's okay if you didn't have a strategy. You didn't know. You're getting answers now. Exactly. Okay. So what are some of the possible new strategies then? Yeah. Well, shockingly, there's really only three. (laughs) So uh, there might be a theme. There were three, (laughs) three ways you might have ended up in this position. They'd be to sell it all to continue to hold all the stock mm-hmm. or to sell some and hold some. That could be tricky right? though. Um, yeah. How do you know? Yeah. It, how do you, you know, how do you figure out which to pick, which to, to get rid of? 
you know, the key to everything that we do comes down to questions. We ask a lot of questions. Sometimes we let people talk and, you know, they'll tell us a lot of the answers to our questions. But one of the first ones is, do you need the money now? And my stress there is on the word need. Do you need the money now? Right. Right. If you're needing the money, well, then a lot of the other things may not matter so much. Exactly. Um, it's all moot if you need the money. But if you don't absolutely. need the money. But there is sometimes still differences of idea on need. So absolutely. I think once you identify you need the money, I think it's still good to look at it and say, do I really need that? Is that really a need? Where does that fit in? But okay. if you need the money, you're probably going to have to sell. Other questions that we need to answer are what's most important to you? You know, it's a values question here. So let's take an example of someone who works in tech. Okay. And who may be all about financial independence as early as possible, say age 50. They also love donating time and money to charity. Okay. This fits a number of our, our tech clients. I'm sure. But then they realized, hmm. Wait, I could just take some sabbaticals maybe in between jobs. We also have a podcast all about that topic. So I won't go into that now. But uh, a lot of times in tech, there aren't sabbaticals from the employers. And because people can change jobs more frequently when they're in the tech field, we've helped a lot of clients create their own sabbaticals. So, you know, maybe in this case, we're talking to the client about could this be a possibility? And they completely shift gears and say, oh, gosh, I'd happily work till age 65 if every three to five years when I'm probably going to have job changes, I get a six month break uh, and I'll use that to do all the volunteering that I, I love to do or, you know, the bigger volunteering that I love to do and, and get these breaks. That's so those are very values oriented questions. Yes, absolutely. Another question is, what do you want your life to look like? I think this is different than what's important to you. You know, it could be, I want this time to volunteer, uh, but it might also be, mm, I might like uh, an upgrade on my home. Mm. I want my home to be paid for by the time mm. I retire or, or am no longer working. I Absolutely. want more time for family. Maybe it's actually, I think I want to work as long as possible because work brings me joy. I'm thinking of Marie Kondo right here. You know, <laughs> does your stuff bring you joy? But my work brings me joy. And so I want to continue to do this. Yeah. Everyone's goals are going to be different depending on what they want. So Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it might also be that, gosh, you know, I'm focusing on tech here, but I'm in tech now, but I'm doing it because I'm good at it. I make good money at it, but it's not really what I love. My passion is over here. So I want to do this and take advantage of my opportunity. But I also want to be done with this and switch to this other thing that will be much more meaningful to me. You really dig deeply into people's lives. I, I hope they're prepared for that when they come <laughs> in to talk to you. Like I think that's one of the fears sometimes of individuals coming to a financial advisor is I think we're kind of like a three-headed monster with big teeth. Because we do dig in um, to so many things going on. It's not just the money. It's what's the purpose? We try to help clients, you know, grow money for a purpose versus mm -hmm. growing money to grow money. There is one more question, though, going back to your yep. last question. That is, how are you going to feel if you sell stock and the stock all of a sudden starts to recover? Or how are you going to feel if you hold the stock and it continues to drop? Thinking through that, and if you've had any prior examples where maybe you held and the stock dropped or you sold and the stock recovered, you can look back and, yeah, did that hit a 
does, is there a sore spot that, because that's probably telling us a lot about the direction we might need to go. Yeah, everyone needs to know their threshold, I would imagine, of, of uncertainty. Um, so how do you put those together to decide on the next strategy then? Yeah, so, well, since we only have three options, usually one of the three isn't really an option for someone. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to the two remaining. And those answers to those questions help a lot. So for example, if the money has value to you today for your lifestyle that's more important than the future, you might want to sell all or some. Or if that money has value to you today because it can secure your future goals, even though it's smaller than what it would be, it may also be beneficial to sell some or all. I think I should be clear. I'm also not trying to paint this with a broad paintbrush and say this is always the case, but it's an idea of how someone might think through this. It's um, part of the mindset. Absolutely. Okay. And is if the money is really more about what it can provide for your life when it's worth more and selling it now and realizing what you do have isn't going to get you far enough that you're going to feel good about that decision and you don't need the money now, well, then you may be a prime candidate to hold on to some of it or all of it. Are there other things to consider in deciding? Absolutely. Some of the things we see that can be challenging are that perhaps you have, for example, shares from RSUs that you've attached mentally to the grant price. That's also called anchoring. One of the things that is hard to recognize is that price at the grant wasn't really a real price. It was a price that they were basing these off of, but the only real price to you is the price that those shares are at when they vest. And so there will be movement between what they were given to you at and what they are when you actually receive them. It's kind of like someone saying, hey, you're going to get an inheritance in the future, but you don't truly know what that inheritance is worth until you receive it. It could be less, it could be more. You know, someone may have experienced a lot of healthcare costs and spent down their money. They may have decided to add more beneficiaries. Gotcha. We just okay. don't know. Okay, sure. So they're speculating then. Uh, in a sense, you know, it, it was based on something concrete at that time. I think the thing that is hard is employers use these stock grants, whichever form, to tie you to the company. And they have vesting dates in most cases further out. And so they'll tell you this is the value of these dollars consistently. Mm -hmm. But that value isn't really your value because you haven't received it yet. So it's a little bit misleading. And then other things someone might want to consider is with incentive stock options, for example. If you have shares to exercise, a down market when the stock is down may be an absolute opportune time to go ahead and exercise and minimize an alternative minimum tax bill. That's something that catches people off guard quite a bit, as long as you're also following the other incentive stock option rules to um, get the preferential tax rate. And then another thing that I think comes to mind is that it can be easy to want to hold your shares that have the highest basis. So let's say, for example, that uh, your stock price is at $60 currently, and you have some shares that you received, your basis is $100 a share, and somewhere it's $50 a share. A lot of people's inclination is to get rid of the $50 shares and keep the 100 Right. But the reality is, 
the 50 have a lot more opportunity value than the $100 shares. Why is that? Because if the stock price is at 60 and you've got shares at $50, the $50 shares have already earned $10. As the stock price goes up, they gain more. But for the $100 shares to have more value, the stock price has to get over $100 a share. And so you may benefit from selling those more expensive shares, taking losses that'll offset the gains that these $50 shares are eventually going to have as the stock price increases. You know so much, and this all is very complicated, but that is what you are there for, to help really explain these things to your clients and make sure that they're in the best hands they can be. And that's what you do. And we appreciate it for sure. Oh, thank you. With that in mind, I'm sure people have questions. They can get a hold of you. How do they do that, Amy? Yes, they can call us at 503-610-6510 or reach us online at thimbleberryfinancial.com. Amy, until next time, have a wonderful couple of weeks. Sounds great. Thanks, Michelle. You too. Registered representative securities offered through Cambridge Research, Inc., a broker-dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, Inc., a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Thimbleberry Financial are not affiliated.